This is exactly right. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. There was like a spiritual seeker who went to the meditating master and was like, I would love to start meditating. How long should I meditate for? And, and the master replies, oh, 15 minutes. And the seeker says, oh, I don't have 15 minutes. And then the master says, an hour. <laughs> We gain more time by doing these practices. We gain deeper connections by taking the time for ourselves. We think like, oh, I'll push my meditation away or I won't go to, you know, do that movement class that feels good or I won't go for that walk because I need to be with my kids right now, not realizing that that one hour, 10 minutes, one minute is actually going to make our connection better. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives while striving to be the best versions of ourselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is The Yoga of Parenting with Sarah Ezrin. Sarah is an author, freelance writer, yoga educator, and content creator based in the Bay Area. Her willingness to be unbashedly honest and vulnerable, along with her innate wisdom, make her writing, teaching, and social media great sources of healing and connection for many, many people. Sarah writes extensively on the subjects of yoga, parenting, and mental health, often interweaving these themes. Her work ranges from heavily reported assignments to personal essays to blog content for brands. She's a regular contributor to Yoga Journal Magazine, Motherly, Yoga International, Healthline, Scary Mommy, Mind Body Green, Mantra Magazine, and LA Yoga Magazine. She has also been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes Magazine, Bustle, LA Weekly, and NBC News. And finally, Sarah is the author of her new book, which we are going to dive into today, The Yoga of Parenting, 10 Yoga-Based Practices to Help You Stay Grounded, Connect With Your Kids, and Be Kind to Yourself. Sarah, welcome to the show. Dr. Dan, I didn't know you were going to read the whole bio. Someone should have said, I, I, so if anyone's still even listening to the, uh, to the episode, I appreciate you. I but. chose. I chose. I had options. I had options for short bio, longer bio, and I sat with it. And believe okay. it or not, I, I took a few things out, but it's like this, <laughs> I wanted it all there for you, for everyone. I love it. Yes. No, I, I so appreciate it. And it's always like awkward hearing about it, but at the same it time, is. I think it's important for us parents especially to, and to do this into parenting too, which is like that, just looking back at how far we've come, right? So whether it's career or where we are in our parenting journey, it, it is important to take that pause and look back. I'm always the one like climbing up the hill. I never really stop and look at the view. So thank you. I appreciate that. I, I appreciate am with you. you. Yes, I, I am with <laughs> you on that climb and uh, working hard to climb less and to mm. what we're going to talk about today is continue to be more present and also, yeah, it's really weird when you when your bio is read and there's part of you that says, like, who is that? Like, what? Who? Who? Yeah. Like and um, so, yeah, take it in because um, you have accomplished a lot. And now having read your book, which I want to say is piece part memoir and feeling like I know you um, even better. It's been a journey. It has been a complete journey. 
It has been a long journey. I have to share this. I've never told anybody this, but that bio, my dad wrote some of it for me. I don't, mm. I had like, I was updating my website and I had sent him my old bio and he's the one, cause like normally you write it for yourself and you're writing it in third person and there's like that whole thing. But my dad, my dad wrote a lot of it too, which was kind of cool to like even see it from a, from a different perspective. So yes. you know, shout out to my dad. That was, uh, that yes. was great. Yeah, yes. I, the the book is it's a lot of layers to it, and mm -hmm. I I couldn't. What what originally inspired me to write it was I mean there's like it's a long it's there's a long and I'm sure you're gonna ask about that but like yes. my original intention was really to showcase all the other stories in it but my first pass my editor's like no we we need a little bit more of you in here and and you know stand it's I guess this is gonna be our theme of our conversation which is standing confidently in your power and where you are. And, um, and I'm actually really happy that I wove in all of that. You know, I know there's quite a bit of very personal information, mm -hmm. but it's just how I process things. And, and mm -hmm. so if I can use that, you know, these are all different teaching tools, right? So I use a pose to teach something, but I'll also use story and, mm -hmm. you know, that's, if it can help people in any way, then, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's well worth it. And it's always well, opportunities for connection. For sh and personal story and other stories of other parents, um, parents that uh, are known to us in the in the world, and then parents who are also just like all of us, just regular parents. And I have to say, um, the foreword by Jen Pasloff, mm. your good friend, and Jen has been on the show. And after reading, well, first Jen's amazing forward, and then reading your book, It's No Wonder You Both Are Kindred Spirits, because um, the power that you both bring to authenticity and vulnerability and just rawness is disarming. And, and, you, and you laid it out, like piece by piece of your life comes into the chapters. It's like, oh, wow. Wow, that was another, a big... Um, trial or tribulation or success or man okay that was something you had to go right like you just kind of feed it out in this way that as i was going through your book it's just like it just feels really easy to be open and real and reflect on oneself because you are doing it in such an open and compassionate way well, I really appreciate that. I think I'm just going to echo the shout out to our dear friend, Jen Pasteloff. She really was a trailblazer in all of this. I mean, I remember those early days of like Facebook, you know, it's like, I don't even think Instagram was around at the time because we started out together in 2008 and she would post something that was so just, I mean, it was literally like, like a diary entry. And mm -hmm. I, I remember feeling like, it's like what you're saying, right? You, it's those feelings that it evokes in me where I've always loved group therapy settings. And that's something mm -hmm. I talk about in the book is like, you know, I've been in therapy a long time, but I, I think I was like, wow, we can use social media in this forum now. And so mm -hmm. I, I have to say Jen was a real trailblazer in that. So I, I can't take any credit as a pioneer, but I was definitely on her on her bandwagon right behind her. And it's been really cathartic to be able to share in that way. I mean, I think social media has been particularly helpful for that, but then the book was this longer form and, and it's also like memorialized, you know, so it's mm -hmm. like this one capsule, um, which is, you know, there's something really cool about that too, but mm -hmm. it's, yeah. It's yeah. My, I mean, and now sharing is my absolute favorite thing to do. I mean, it's, it's, and I don't even want to say now sharing cause I've always been an overshare, but, um, you know, just having these forums to be able to do that and, and to connect with people on these levels that people don't often talk about. Mm -hmm. I think that's mm -hmm. part of it is bringing to light the parts that are traditionally considered dark to only see that right. it's those darkest right. spots that actually make our light the brightest. Well, and when people like you do that, it gives the courage to others to share with, uh, e whether it's on social media or their small group or their family. It's like, okay, wait, Sarah can do that. I can do that. And it, there's a ripple effect. I mean, I hope so. Yeah. Okay. So let's, um, yoga. I, I want to start with this quote from you, which I love. <laughs> I've been meditating for nearly 30 years and practicing asana, the physical practice for over 20. And I can say without a doubt that the most advanced yoga I have ever done is raising children. I love that. And I know you're speaking the truth. <laughs> Hmm. 
Well, I think it also like, it's like, how do we define yoga? Right. And, and I'm laughing because recently I, I was thinking like, oh, I think partnership with two young kids might be the hardest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now, you know, like we weren't quite there yet. I was I only had one kid when I started to write the book because I was pregnant with our second. And now I'm like, mm, maybe that's maybe partnership and uh, young mm-hmm. children is, is the most advanced. But really, like, what is yoga? And so, you know, when we think of the word yoga, often in the West, we picture someone doing something with their body. It's they're in a physical shape. Mm-hmm. But when we go back to the root of the word and we look at the Sanskrit language, which was a really cool language, because unlike English and other counterparts where it's one word, one meaning, in the Sanskrit language, there's often one word to convey many different meanings. And so the term yoga, like we know it as a practice here in the West, and it is a, a philosophy. There is a specific capital Y yoga but mm-hmm. the word lowercase yoga is also used to describe a sum, like in math, like adding mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. an astrological conjunction, a marriage. It's it's often used to describe something that has to do with union and unification. So when we look at it like on that level and we're just looking at like the, you know, what's the essence of this word? What is it actually trying to mean to us? I take it and, and you know, I'd be like, I, I, I don't want to be rewriting any texts or anything. I feel like I, what I've read is that it's about con- connection and unification. Mm-hmm. So if mm-hmm. that's the case, then parenting is yoga, relationships of any kind are yoga, even that deeper connect and especially that deeper connection to yourself. So mm-hmm. I'm starting to see my relationships as my practice, it, it helped change my perspective in a lot of different ways. I mean, it, it helped me start to appreciate the uh, challenges of them in those moments and, and the growth mm-hmm. the growth edge, but also to really understand that, like, you know, I was so attached to my body and to my practice for so long, and mm-hmm. that was just a gate. It, it really mm-hmm. was just a door opening up to the deeper connection, which is connection to other or connection to self parenting is yoga everyone whether you know it or not you have been doing a form of yoga which is why at times it is difficult to breathe and difficult to contort all aspects of your inner self let alone your outer self in the parenting journey um let's go back to your beginning uh, with yoga your 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 first relationship with yoga and how that started and how it has evolved over the past several years yeah. So I have to give my credit to my dad again. I feel like, you know, mm-hmm. my parents have been, I, I mean, as they should, and this is what, this is exactly what your whole podcast is about and your movement. This mm-hmm. is the footprints, right? My dad yeah. left a footprint, but in a, in a way that's maybe not what you're thinking. So people probably <laughs> are imagining that he was a yoga practitioner. That was not it at all. He sent me a box. It was like a gag gift box when I turned 19. Okay. This is 2001. Mm-hmm. And in it was like all this stuff to imply that I was getting older and I needed to take care of myself. Like mm. things that like now as a 41 year old, I'm like at the you know, products I'm actually currently using. But you know, at 19, I was like, oh, this is hilarious. And one of which was a VHS tape. It was a yoga VHS tape. Mm. And my roommate and I popped it in ready to laugh. And within seconds, we were like moving furniture out of the way, <laughs> putting out our cigarettes and starting <laughs> to do the movements. And here we are. So that was 2001, you know, or 22 years later, yeah. she's a fairly well-known yoga teacher in the Pacific Northwest. I've wow. been teaching for the last 15 years. We both continued this, this love affair and it, it all started, you know, as I, I don't, it was just like a passing thing, you know, um, I mean, not, wow. not in any way to compare myself to like Einstein, yeah. but it's like, you know, when Einstein's dad like gave him a compass, it's like, this is exactly what we, you talk about on your show. It's, it's that footprint and that imprint huh. of like the little things that we give our kids and you never know like what's going to be sparked. And it, it became my life very quickly. That is awesome. I'm imagining, you know, your dad grabbing like a Jane Fonda, like jazzercise VHF, you know, at a, at a, like a, a flea market or a garage sale, like putting in the box, you know, like that's yes. sort of like, this is just going to be a blast. And it was probably like Barnes and Noble, right? Cause it was like right. 2001. So yeah, he was probably right. like, and here's like your AARP card and all these things thinking he's being so funny. Yeah. And I'm like, mm, little did you know, you know, but it, I wow. think there also was a subconscious 
desire in there because I wasn't on the right path. You know, I wasn't, I, I was in a really unhealthy place and I, you know, battling my own stuff with addiction at the time. And so mm-hmm. as much as it was like, ha ha funny, I, I think there was this unconscious or maybe it was very conscious. We should ask him a desire to redirect me and to get right. me on a different path. And it absolutely did. It was like instantaneous. Wow. Wow. Do you recall what it was, what, what the grab was, you know, I mean, obviously for you and your friend, like there's something that just took hold. It's, I, you know, I was just thinking about it as like, I'm recalling the story to you and I'm like, what was it that really made us, you know, to actually get serious and want to pay attention because I, we really did put it in with the intention of laughing. Mm-hmm. And I think what it was, like, I'm like picturing it. I can feel it. I could like remember our VHS and like the stack that our like, you know, little square TV mm-hmm. was on. I think it was hearing the breathing, honestly, the breathing in that video. So the the video is Gonga White and Tracy Rich, who um, own the White Lotus Foundation in Santa Barbara. Gonga was one of the first owners of Center for Yoga, which was one of the first yoga studios in all of LA. So the roots mm. are very, very, very deep in this lineage. And it was a vinyasa flow, which is like all about breathing and moving. And I just remember hearing the breath. I'd never heard breath like that before. I mean, mm. I'm pretty sure there wasn't any breathing going on in my house growing up. And, you know, I definitely, other than, that's probably why actually I loved smoking, right? It's like other than, than smoking cigarettes, I, I was, you know, holding my breath a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. But hearing the whooshing, we call it ujjayi breath. It was like, yeah, I mean, you use the word disarming. Like that's what it, I think it felt like. Mm-hmm. It was just like, oh, okay, like this is this mm-hmm. is real. Like what is that? I remember thinking like, is that a sound maker or are they – is this actually coming from these humans? And and then we started to do it too. Ooh, this embodiment moment that, Mm -hmm. you know, I'd been fighting most of my life to be out of my body. And Mm -hmm. it was this beautiful welcoming back into myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I really um, was like intrigued by the, paradox that you described of your life. And I know so many of us struggle with when we're we're seeking health. So on the one hand, you are, you are not per your own report, you know, having a healthy lifestyle. Um, There's some issues with addiction, there's some issues with eating. And yet, because you're a striver, which I relate to, right, a climber and achiever, you are like going hardcore into health, right? You are Mm. exercising, you're doing yoga several times a day, you're eating healthy, and I'm putting that in quotes, right? Uber healthy to a point that your outsides and actions and practices were seemingly healthy, but you're finding, wait, it took a while for your insides, for lack of a better word, right? To, to, to come into resonance in your, in your journey. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, I swung way to the other side of the spectrum. I went from like staying up every night till five to like waking up every day at five and, you know, from eating anything to not eating anything. I mean, I always, you know, I've been in and out of eating, eating restrictive eating my whole life, but I, there was also just this kind of pressure in the wellness community. And and I don't want to blame the community because I'm the one who chose to do it. But at the Mm -hmm. time, Thinness was extremely valued, hyperflexibility, success was defined by the postures and the shapes that you could make with your body. And the style of yoga that I, I was very into, I got into Ashtanga yoga and, and got really deep into it, which is a very dedicated practice. Uh, there was so much emphasis on the body and the poses that you, the rest of your life fell away. So the mm. focus was entirely on your morning practice and everything else around it was on the peripheral, which meant everything that you were doing outside of there from the foods you were eating to the caffeine you were intaking to the relationships, to what time you're going to sleep, to what time you were waking up in the morning, all those things would impact your practice. And it meant making my life very, very, very small so Mm. that I could prioritize getting my leg behind my head every day Mm -hmm. and standing up from a backbend. And, but the reality is that, you know, 
when your life, when that is your focus, I mean, it's not even the reality. That's just, you could even imagine just picturing it. Your life is extremely small. It, it really limited mm-hmm. me in all my relationships. It, I mean, even my, my girlfriends, my friendships, I, I, cause I wouldn't go anywhere. I wouldn't really do anything unless I could be home mm-hmm. by eight and like in bed wow. and going wow. out to dinner was always a challenge. Um, so it was, it's interesting because now at 41, two kids, you know, very different time in my life, lots of different injuries. I like to think of my life as being at the center and my practice is on the peripheral. Oh, right, right. You know, it's right. just there kind of holding me as a container, but it's not yeah. the like nexus that everything is, is surrounding. Oh, I'm breathing. That, that, that gives me a little more like, like room and breathe and relief, like to hear it in that way. And I, mm-hmm. um, what's interesting is hearing you describe that experience, it's reminded me of a, we had a former guest who's a, a author who wrote about her um, ballerina, uh, ballerina experience growing up. Mm. And she was on the main, on, on that um, track, the professional track and how, again, everything got very small. The, everything was about how your body looked, how your, um, your, um, I'm calling poses, but your, um, you know, your, your posture and, became, it can become so obsessive and, um, very toxic to one's self image, you know, again, and I'm saying this very loosely for everyone, there's, um, the pros and cons of all this. And it's, it's, it's like, how do we find balance? And I think that's when you said you went from one way to another, you know, one extreme to another screen extreme. And in my experience, um, dealing with humans and being one myself is that, when we try to change something big, we usually take a full swing to the other side because we have to work so hard to switch whatever habit or behavior that we ha- that has been ingrained. And then it is a very slow trial and error slog to try to get to the middle. Hmm. Well, I don't know the author. I would love to read her book. So yeah. I don't want to make any presumptions. Yes. I can tell you that when my life was that small, it was, I told people it was about the poses. That's what I was outwardly saying, but it was really, you know, I'm I'm a recovering anorexic. It, it was all control. Mm -hmm. It's all control. And, Mm -hmm. and what I know of the ballet world from my friends that are professional dancers, there's a lot of that too. And it comes Mm -hmm. out in the perfect technique and the perfect movement and how much are you weighing? And, you know, can you stand perfectly on point or in in our case, you know, in in the yoga tradition, like, can you get your leg behind your head? Can you sit up easily? And, you know, but the reality is, is like, what are we actually trying to do? Well, we're, we're, it's such great fear of the unknown, which is the world. And living mm-hmm. and like, mm-hmm. hello, parenting just like blew that lid off the, right. off the, I don't even know what the saying would be, blew, blew the, right. the roof off the house. So it, it, where, at least in my, my case, the earlier days of my partying and, and my acting out. And, you know, again, it's also correlated with my, tw- my teens and very, very early twenties. But a lot of that was about being out of control. And then I mm-hmm. swung to the pendulum side of uber control. Mm-hmm. So it is, it's finding that happy medium of letting in pleasure, letting in softness, but also still having a container, also still having mm-hmm. limits. And mm-hmm. I, parenting has been one of the greatest places for me to really learn that and to see that because <laughs> right, I can see right. it in how, I mean, it's not to say I'm like <laughs> an expert by any means, but I watch it just in how I handle my kids and mm-hmm. how I handle myself. You know, I mean, I talk right. about that in the book too, that, that idea of limits and softness. But I think that's, at least in my case, I can tell you that's what it was. It was that swing yeah. from out of control, which was its own fear response to dealing with the unknown to uber control, uber control. Yeah, that makes sense. And if any of us ever want a ultimate lesson in lack of control, <laughs> just bring some children into your life. Yes. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Even my, even my sister, you know, like as the aunt, I'm like, spend a few hours with him, you know, with my eldest. Like, here you go. You don't even have to, like, they don't even have to be legally yours, you know? It's just bring some children into your life. It's really, it's, it's a wild ride. And Mm -hmm. yeah. So 
tell us about the importance of self-compassion and self-acceptance and being in the moment as these as central to the practice and um really as you write about it it's like central to the practice of health and living well i think just even wrapping up like the history right because it's i thought i was being self compassionate and mm. i i thought that i was making choices that were healthiest for me. I, I mean, obviously my eating disorder was running rampant and I, mm-hmm. I was constantly torn, like going to a OA meetings over Eaters Anonymous and then showing up in front of the classroom and, and, you know, saying, oh, I practiced my mantras this, this weekend, you know, I was my affirmations in front of the mirror. But I think at, at its root, I, what I thought I was doing was a practice of self-compassion and it really took the getting into the mud and that being at my kind of breaking point to mm-hmm. understand like what self-compassion actually is. And truly the greatest ways I've ever learned self-compassion are through teaching other people mm-hmm. and parenting other my children. Mm-hmm. Because it's a lot easier to be like, you know, over my own shoulder and trying to impart all of these like expectations that are just completely unattainable or how I speak to myself. It's a lot easier to be mean to myself than it is to an actual living, breathing being in front of you. Right. And I would even say my dogs, right? Like my dogs growing up too. I think they also taught me compassion. So, and as I'm, and especially when I have my kids or started to get pregnant, um, you know, and just thinking about like, how am I talking to myself right now? Well, I'm t- telling the baby like, oh, I can't wait to meet you. And then I stand in the mirror and I'm like, oh, you look awful. You know, how, like, right. where is this disconnect? And, mm-hmm. and how can we start to see ourselves with that same loving eye, that unconditional love and acceptance that we do everyone else that's closest mm-hmm. to us? How would you say that yoga, the practice of yoga, and we'll talk about the practice of yoga because I know a lot of people get overwhelmed by thinking what yoga is and what they have to do to practice yoga. Um, How does the practice of yoga bring in and cultivate self-compassion? Well, it's a practice of deep listening if you're really listening. And that's that's kind of what happened when I very first started to do yoga was that it was the first time I was like, whoa, like my soul was in my body. I was breathing in the present moment. I was moving my arm at the same time I was being asked to lift it. Like that was very different than how quickly I'd been living my life prior. And then of course, as you know, as I mentioned and the years got on and I got much more hardcore, I was able to kind of bypass what I was feeling. So things felt good in my body but my shoulder was screaming, but I'm like, that's okay. I'll still wrap it behind my back. You know, I, I was starting to ignore certain signals and what yoga has taught me over the years. And I think it's been about getting older. I think it's, you know, truly it's, it's about watching my body just change. Like, I don't even think you need to have carried children to experience your body changing as the years go on, but it gets to a point where when you're moving your body on a day-to-day basis. And we can talk about what it is, right? Like yoga, you don't need to take your legs behind your head. Just simply lift your arms up. Like you can do that at home. Just lift your arms up and be with that. As you become more aware, it just, you start to get more honest with yourself. Like, oh, well, I'm lifting my arms up, but this right one is actually kind of hurting right now. And oh, well, maybe when I lift my arms up, if I bend my elbows, it'll get a little bit higher. You just start to really get honest and truthful about what's happening in a physical level so that off of the mat, you get more honest and truthful about what's starting to happen on an internal level, what we would say mm-hmm. is intuition. Mm-hmm. Mm. So cultivation on the mat brings on more awareness off the mat. 
Yeah, 1,000%. Mm-hmm. And and like, I don't even want to say on the mat anymore, honestly. Yeah, because... yeah, I, would, I taught myself there too, yeah. No, no, but I do it all the time. I mean, it's yeah. in the book, I, you know, I say off yeah. the mat and or on the mat, you know, those those exercises are in there. But the reason that I would maybe, you know, if I if I did a rewrite now, yeah. the book's only yeah. been out for two months, but if I did a, if I did a rewrite, it's, it's because for some people, that connection practice is when you're doing sports, when you're playing sports or when you're mm-hmm. out hiking or for runners when you're running. Right. So it doesn't, or even for people that, you know, simply sit or painters or, you know, so whatever it is that you're doing, you know, that, that flow state that is sometimes referred to yes. that brings you into the moment that you are so present in whatever it is. And, and there is an embodiment aspect to it, even if you're just statically breathing. Um, I think that's the thing that can then be the gateway into, okay, what am I actually feeling underneath that? What are the emotions underneath that? And starting Mm -hmm. to get really honest. Yes. You know, and I'm really glad you said that because the idea of mat and studios does Mm -hmm. feel really restrictive. I know it always has for me and I know many others. It's like, you know, I don't do yoga or, and it's the same way I spent years waiting to have enough time to meditate because of my notion of what meditation was. So fortunately, I finally got there and I've been doing that for a long time. But I am aware that I have the same barrier in my mind about yoga. I have family members who do yoga. I've done yoga a few times, but the idea of a consistent yoga practice feels big. But what you write about and what you're saying is it actually isn't and it's really accessible to all of us throughout the day. Yeah. I mean, even just like... You paused and took a big inhale earlier as we were talking. I, don't, I can't remember which which part we were at, but there was a moment where you you caught yourself and you took a big breath. Like I would dare to say that is yoga. Mm-hmm. I would dare to say when you're standing in line at Starbucks or you know wherever you get your coffee and you're waiting to get your coffee and then you you realize that your posture is a little bit off and you kind of correct yourself and ooh I feel a little bit more energized just by standing a little taller. Mm-hmm. Like that is its own form of yoga. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even on the more esoteric level, which is, you know, the the like deep, deep conversations with people that you love, or as we mentioned, the flow state and all of that mm-hmm. really does constitute yoga. And that's when it gets back to what you were saying earlier. And I know a core of your meaning and practice is connection. Mm-hmm. It's like connection to self, connection to other, and of course, connection to our children. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the connection part of it. And and I'm actually really glad that you just l- said it in that order. <laughs> because, I mean, maybe I would swap other and children, right? So children and then other. But, right, but connection right. to self has to be first. And and mm-hmm. a lot of us have missed that memo. It's, it's yes. I mean, yes. especially, and I don't know as a dad, like how you're feeling pressure. But I know as a mother in, in the West, there is a lot of pressure to self-sacrifice and to make mm-hmm. your connection with your kids priority over everything else. And we know what happens, right? I mean, you're, you're it's all those adages, right? You can't pour from an empty cup and you got to put your own mask on first. So it is connection to self. And I would tell you, yeah. I, I'm sure you've heard this, like, it's like a funny, it's not funny, but it's like a parable, which is like the, there was like a spiritual seeker who went to the meditating master and was like, I would love to start meditating. How long should I meditate for? And, and the master replies, oh, 15 minutes. And the seeker says, oh, I don't have 15 minutes. And then the master says, an hour. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it, it, we actually, we gain more time by doing these practices. We gain deeper connections by taking the time for ourselves. We think like, oh, I'll push my meditation away or I won't go to, you know, do that movement class that feels good or I won't go for that walk because I need to be with my kids right now. Not realizing that that one hour, 10 minutes, one minute is actually going to make our connection better. And you have a beautiful quote about that, which I'm going to read. Putting our needs aside does not make us better parents. The more disconnected we are from ourselves, the more disconnected we are from everyone else. It is impossible to be fully present when, with someone when you cannot be fully present with yourself. It is impossible to give someone your all if you have nothing to give. Right? And this is the this is what you're describing. And this is as a as a um of trying to be always have tried to be a very present father. So I relate, um, the dilemma of time and 
there's time for work. There's time for uh, family, home, kids. But like, no, you can't like have time for yourself. Like there's no time. And I know this is um, mothers in a very big way deal with this all the time, all day long. And the idea that, no, no, you taking the time for yourself is essential for you not only connecting to yourself, but being the kind of parent you want to be, you can't do that if you are not practicing self-care. Hmm. I, there's a saying that like spirituality is a razor's edge. So the, that it always seems easier to skip my workout in the morning, to eat whatever foods I want to eat, to you know not carve out that time to meditate. Those feel like the quote unquote easier paths. Because maybe in the moment, it, it is easier to hit snooze and keep sleeping and, you know, do whatever it is. But the long term of that, you're going to be more affected, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be have more of a negative effect in the long term making those choices. And I'm not knocking any of it. Like I am all mm -hmm. for the sleeping in and the yeah. like eating whatever you want. But you, you know what I mean? It's, it's the you know, you, you don't do the hard things. And the hard things with parenting could be setting a limit in a conscious way, like getting down mm -hmm. on their level and having a conversation with them about something as opposed to no, because it's my household, which is an mm -hmm. easier route, mm -hmm. quote unquote. Mm -hmm. But if we're looking at everything as a long game and we're looking at, you know, what are the seeds that we're planting and the footprints that we're leaving, as you say, then we realize that, oh, the, the harder choice in the moment is actually queuing us up for mm -hmm. this much more rich and serene existence. Mm -hmm. Yes. And what you're, you're reminding me of, so the hard things in the moment. So a colleague had uh, this week sent me a podcast on patience. We were talking about it, and it's from a, a business leader. And in this podcast, the quote was they were referencing um, a medical a hospital, a medical school, a medical hospital that on the wall, it says for all of the interns and doctors, don't just do something, stand there. Mm. And that made me think of what you talk about in your book about the importance and how hard it is to not intervene with our kids, whether it's a physical moment with a sibling, whether it's at times, uh, I want to say a light safety moment, maybe something that, you know, of course, as parents, we get worried about, but it's really they're not in a life threatening situation and how hard it is to be intentional about letting things unfold, which is also part of mindfulness and yoga. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. So there's uh, one of the original um, co-owners of Yoga Works, which is the, that's the school I was trained in. My teacher, Mati Zrati, her former partner, his name is Chuck Miller. I just want to give him the shout out, but he always says, you have to start by stopping. Mm. You have to start by stopping. And he would often start, you know, most yoga classes, you're moving already, you're breathing. And, and he would often start people in, in uh, what we call Tadasana, mm -hmm. which is simply standing. So I love that. Stop doing something, just stand there. Yeah. I mean, the, I have to fully admit, you know, when I wrote this, I wrote it as I was pregnant with my second, he was not out in this world and he is like trying to kill himself uh, at every corner. Like at any yeah. chance, if there's <laughs> a wire, it's wrapped around his neck. He's yeah. like, I, I, like I, I, I turn for three seconds. So it's very hard to not intervene with him and everything feels like an emergency but this is when you come back to exactly what you were saying. It's the mindfulness practice. It's the intentionality. It's the willingness to, he's going to trip sometimes. He's going to trip and fall. I can't mm -hmm. catch him every single time. I'm not going to let him play with wires, obviously. But the climbing up and down off the couch was a big one because he mm -hmm. was so unstable. And, mm -hmm. and I would pad everything up and then I'd be there. And then I realized like, I wasn't being present with my other son. I wasn't being present with myself. Like he has to have a little bit of space to kind yes. of fall off and he has yep. to. And, and that actually is what helped him to learn mm -hmm. how to climb back up. So, you know, it's, it, we, it's not just about our experience too. It's about giving our loved ones the dignity and the space for them to learn on their own as well, mm -hmm. which is so hard. <laughs> so hard. So yeah, hard. As, as mentioned, I like control. So I'm like, oh, you know, 
but and now he's he's like a little you know he's not the most graceful I you know I gotta say and but he gets up and down just fine and he still falls down on his bum a lot of the times but he's got to figure it out I can't always mm -hmm. be there and I won't always be there you also wrote about something very important and a topic we've had um, several times. Uh, it's come into several people's story on the show, and that is um, postpartum uh, anxiety, postpartum depression. And everyone knows about, well, more and more people know about postpartum depression. Finally, postpartum anxiety is getting more um, press and play. And as you cite, the research shows that New moms, 70 to 100% of new moms have intrusive, anxious thoughts about their kids and how we have to both normalize this part of child rearing and also demystify it and destigmatize it so people understand what's going on when they're in a really scary place. Yeah. And, and like there's intrusive thoughts, like the baseline, you're just a human being that's caretaking right. and you're having your intrusive thoughts. There are the extreme intrusive thoughts, which obviously if there's ever an impulse or feeling like you're, you know, you're going to act on it, then that's when you need to seek advice. But when it's like the, you know, I don't even want to set off a trigger, but you're walking down the street and you picture something, you know, I, I right. think that so much of that, we get terrified by it. We're terrified by those thoughts that we cannot control, but learning that you, this is very normal, not only as a human being, but as a parent, which makes sense because if you think evolutionarily, like as, you know, living in cave times or even prior to that when we were primates, you have to be able to be clocking everything that's going on, right? This is your job is to keep this thing alive. So, you know, no wonder you're like thinking through like, oh, that chair is going to fall and that thing's going to spill. And, you know, so there's, it, it makes sense. I, it's just that they can be quite scary. Um, mm -hmm. But I do highly, highly recommend, you know, if you're ever, and I'm, I am not a therapist, I'm not an expert, but, you know, just as a mom that's had them myself and didn't tell people at first, yeah. talk to your providers and the people that you trust about them because they'll, they can also like reflect back to you and say, Oh, that's totally normal. You know, it's totally mm -hmm. normal to think that the knife that's on the counter is going to like get them in the bathroom. That's, you know, seven feet away. Right. right. And, um, and yeah. And, and the beautiful part about it that is the whole, you know, crux of the book is like yoga can help with that. That's something right. that yoga right. can yes. absolutely help with. Yes, and that's right. That's where I was going. Which is so. How did yoga help you through those intrusive thoughts? Well, you know the way my anxiety works. It's both somatic, so I'm mm -hmm. always feeling like I'm being dropped off a cliff. Mm. Just that, like butterfly feeling down, you know, in the in my solar plexus, in the center of my tummy. Um, which by the way, and like, I am not a scientist, but I read recently is the blood leaving your digestive system because you're in fight or flight, right? So much of yes. that, is that to go, yes. is that true to go into your limbs? True. And and I was like, yes. oh, okay. Like I can, I'm like, okay guys, we're okay. <laughs> like stay there, yes. stay yes. there. We can still work on the digestive system, but, um, that's, so I feel it somatically. And then of course the thoughts arise as well. But what I find that's really helpful is like somatically, obviously like feeling my body on the floor. That's great. And, and that's part yoga too, is just like, okay, like feel my feet, focus on mm -hmm. that instead, focus on, you know, where's the top of my head right now, maybe even sometimes feeling into the anxiety and mm -hmm. like tracking it, you know, it reminds me of like inner space. Remember Dennis Quaid and, oh, Ray yeah. Brian was like, yeah. and I'm like, oh, I can like feel it inside, like moving around. So that's, that's one way the physical practice can help, but the mental practice is it because you recognize the thought, you can then choose your next one. So the first one, we don't, you know, unless you're like a meditating master in the Himalayas, like, you know, right. it's most likely that you're, you'll have these thoughts, they'll come up. It's that instantaneous reaction, as we call it. But the very next one, once you're aware of that, what's your next thought? And what are you choosing to think? Hmm. So when it comes to intrusive thoughts, which are wild and sometimes horrific, I like to think, I like look at what's going on in, in my room and recite to myself something that is truly happening in this moment. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that chair is not, that chair is not fallen over. That chair is perfectly mm -hmm. still. My son is on the other side of the room. Mm -hmm. That chair is perfectly still. My son's on the other side of the room. 
And I, I almost repeat it like a mantra to myself. Right. And it doesn't matter if like, it's like, oh, the chair's going to fall. No, the chair is standing still. Oh, the chair is going to, like some days it feels like that's my meditation practice where I'm literally like back and forth and back and forth with my brain. I would rather have a day like that than a day where I am just in horror about the chair falling down and feeling completely helpless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then in time, you you have these days where you're like, okay, the chair is there. The chair is not falling right. over. Right. He's over there. And then like hours can go by, you know? So really, again, rooted in present. Mm. Because uh, we know intrusive, anxious thoughts. Intrusive thoughts are almost always anxious thoughts. And we know that anxious thoughts are about a future event or situation that has yet to occur. And so we often say that all worry and anxiety exists in a future that has not yet happened. And so the presence, getting back to your root, getting back to right now, grounds you in this fleeting present moment. Yeah. And isn't that like everything, right? It sounds so easy. It's everything. It's so simple, but it is. It's everything. It's being in this moment. And it's, you know, as humans with the frontal cortexes and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, it's, it's really, it's challenging, but like, that's why I love yoga and mindfulness practices because Mm -hmm. that's that's why I need them. You know, we just anchor me. Mm -hmm. And I, where I feel like mindfulness and yoga meet with a word you just said, uh, mantra. And say a little bit about the power of mantras in our daily life. So there's the like mantras, we know it like in the yoga tradition, like chanting the syllable om, or often it's a sentence or a sacred syllable. And that's, you know, generally in the Sanskrit language. But colloquially, we use mantras. That's the same term that that's been used to talk about those repetitive thoughts and and the things that we say to ourselves over and over again. I even liken. I feel like it's synonymous. And like again, you know, I don't, I'm not an expert on it, but affirmations and mantras are kind of the same thing. So it's the idea is through repetition, even if you don't necessarily believe it at first, but through repetition internally or speaking out loud you can literally start to change your thoughts. So just, you know, referring to the chair example, it's like my son is safe. My son is over here and safe. That, that, that's how I start to transform the fear of, of the chair falling. Just like when I stand in front of the mirror and I'm super pregnant and I'm like, you look beautiful right now. Mm-hmm. You look beautiful right now. And I may not believe it in that moment, but the more I say it and the more eye contact I hold, everything starts to transform. And I do start to believe it. I start to truly believe it. It's like Mm -hmm. it changes the chemistry. Yeah. So it's, it's, there's something about the words of it. I mean, you know, the Sanskrit language is different because it's like, it's believed to access the divine and, you know, there is something really powerful. And, um, I grew up in the Jewish tradition. So like when you go into synagogue and you're singing prayers, like, you know, or whatever you do to access that higher, that higher power. But I also think humans and words can have a very powerful effect. It doesn't have to be a, a language. It doesn't have to be sung. It's just the power of your thoughts and of your speech and, and that you can change your whole experience. Yes. As we are winding down towards the parent footprint moment question, I have a two-parter question for you, which is, how did writing this book impact you? And what do you hope the impact will be on your readers? I love that. I mean, the, I wrote it for myself. Like, let's just be real. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote it because I I was... I love books and I love words as you know, I'm sure you can glean from, yes. from the conversation so far. Yes. And I, I wasn't finding what I needed. So I went to experts and research and I was like, let's just bring it together. So I wrote it for me. Mm-hmm. What's so interesting is that, you know, I've reread it a thousand times, right? I've had to rewrite it for reread it for the rewrites. I've had to reread it for the audiobook. I've reread it when I'm reading passages. And every time I read it, I'm reminded. And I learn again and again 
and again. So even getting to talk to you about mantra, I realized like, oh, I wasn't being very kind to myself this morning mm. because I'm I'm going to a concert, which is very unlike me as like the mom. I stay home all the time and I'm going to see Beyonce. I'm just going to say it. Nice. Which means I'm, I'm away from my kids all afternoon and I was beating myself up for it. And just in this conversation between you and me, I'm reminded like, and I'm hearing, I'm thinking all these horrific thoughts. Like, what if I never right. make it home? And, you know, mm-hmm. I, like even just, you know, what if I don't get home till two? And then, you know, it's like, they, like that's horrific. But it just reminds me the power that we have and yeah. coming back to the basics of the breath, the body, and working with your mind. So that's, to me, it's, it's just that continually coming home mm-hmm. and continually connecting again, Mm -hmm. to myself, to something bigger and to my kids. Nice. And as far as what I hope for those reading it, I just wanted, I wanted to write something that gave people permission that made them feel good. So many parenting books and there's brilliant ones out there, but a lot of them just made me feel worse about myself and where I was at and, or just very behind. And I wanted Mm -hmm. a book that was like, let's connect to what's happening in the moment. Let's connect to you Let's connect to your family because we are the best parent for our kids and take a moment, like we said at the very beginning, to yeah. pause and look at how far you've come. Look at where you are. Look at this life. Yes. Yes. And your book does that. Your book does Thank that. Thank you. I hope so. Thank you. All right. One last, I'm going to read one last quote before the parent footprint <laughs> moment question because I love this. Okay. We are practicing yoga every time we remember to take a deep breath during our child's meltdown. We are practicing yoga every time we're able to calm our nervous system after we've had a scare at the playground or have had it out with our teenager. We are practicing yoga every time we observe our mind wandering from the reality of the present towards some non-existent future and are able to re-anchor back into the truth of the now. I, I like I took an exhale just listening to yeah, it. Yeah, that's 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 beautiful. And everyone listening, you didn't realize how much you're actually have already started your yoga practice. Exactly. So this is a, a yeah, foundation. Not even in the leap you're, you're an expert. An expert. <laughs> you're exactly. If you're exactly. listening to a parenting podcast, I yes. would like to say you are you are an expert. Since oh, I wrote yeah. the book, I um, we actually had a really scare a big scare at the playground, and it was really mm-hmm. cool to. It was actually at a museum. My my son fell two stories and cracked the back of his head open. He's he's fine, Whoa. but it was like full ambulance CT, really scary. Wow! And it was really cool to see how my practice could help me in that moment. Cause it was one thing when he was falling off the cat and this isn't the, the, the clumsy yeah. one. This is, yeah. this is actually my climber. Um, you know, it was one thing to have those like a scare at the playground. But when I reread that, when you re- reread that to me, I'm like, Oh, right. And, and being able to really use my practice and, and it like, uh, I couldn't have gone through that day were it mm. not for my meditation practice. Had I not woken up much earlier than everybody and done some kind of a practice that morning, mm-hmm. some kind of sitting, I, you know, I'm not mm. sure. I'm not sure how the day would have gone, but it, it just, it makes me so grateful for these tools. Um, and again, I like, I don't, I don't want to overwhelm people that, that they have to start all these other tools. I think you're, we're just doing them. We know yeah. that we, without knowing yeah. it, right. Which is the breathing, feeling your body, noticing where you are in space. Like I'm so grateful to have those in my back pocket to be able to draw upon. And, and I hope everybody Mm. starts to Mm -hmm. use them even maybe just today, just like just the deep breath, just see, see what that does for you. Mm. I am glad he is okay. I cannot even imagine. (laughs) I am imagining and I'm trying not to imagine. So I am glad he's okay. Well, I do want to say like quick update, which is that we we went back about a month and a half later and my husband climbed it with him so that he was behind mm-hmm. him and holding him. Mm-hmm. And I actually just wrote about this in my newsletter this morning, which is like the accomplishment, his like conquering and how mm-hmm. he felt about himself on the other side of it. Now, none of it was worth it. None of it was worth right. the like ambulance bill or, right. you know, right. the stitches, the staple in the head yeah. or any of those things. But there was this, re- he really called some beautiful gold out of the experience. And I'm really proud of him for, for climbing up. And again, it goes like back to what we're talking about, like letting our kids make mistakes and learn from them. 
Um, mm-hmm. And just getting to see his growth from that. And, you know, I, I was worried it was he wasn't going to climb again, but he did mm-hmm. that. And he's like back to climbing like nothing happened. It's it's remarkable. That is remarkable. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Parent footprint moment question. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual, as a parent, or even an awareness of your own parents. And that new awareness had a positive impact on your life, your kids, and or those you love. Okay. And I told you I didn't, I like, I knew there was a question. (laughs) I didn't read it, even though you sent it to me in advance. I think we say like my awareness of me as a parent. Let's, let's Mm -hmm. talk about that. Okay. Definitely. So I, I got pregnant first before why I had a pregnancy when I was younger that, that, um, unfortunately we had to terminate, but I, I got pregnant right before we got pregnant with Jonah that we lost the baby. That was, I mean, motherhood was always this kind of like esoteric concept of like, first of all, it didn't even feel like anything that was going to be on my path. It was like, my friends are the moms and you know, the, the, these neighbors, the mom friends are the moms. It didn't feel like it was part of my wheelhouse. But the second I got pregnant when we were trying, I became mother Mm. and I wanted to take care of this thing inside of me. I didn't, it was, it, it turned out it was a girl, but I didn't know at the time. And everything changed in how I took care of myself, how I looked at myself, how I talked to myself. I mean, it's it's what I was saying earlier about like, I felt horrible, obviously, because we were in the first trimester when I lost the baby. But, you know, being like realizing like, oh, there's someone inside of you that can hear what you're saying. And that has completely changed how I now approach everything because what I realized, and and this is actually a teacher of mine named Allie Hamilton, um, who was based in LA, had once said this, which is that we get pregnant and we're like taking care of this thing inside of us, not realizing that like we're inside of us, like the, the baby is then born, but we are inside of us still. I can still take care of myself in that way. And that was a hugely transformational moment. And I realized like I've, I've actually been very mothering in, in many ways. I just didn't have a label for it, but it was having something inside of my body mm-hmm. and really listening to it in a deep way that I hadn't with myself in a, in a very long time, you know, as mentioned, that mm-hmm. was, that was transformational for me. And, mm-hmm. and now being able to do that still for myself, even when it's in conflict with what my kids want. That's really challenging, but it's, mm-hmm. it's that, okay, well, okay, mother, I, I need to go to this concert. I don't need to go to this concert tonight. That's not a good example, but like, you know, often I'll, I'll, I need to eat this food right now. That's a big one, right? Yeah. I need to eat right now. I know you're losing it. And I know that, you know, you want to get to the park and I wouldn't say, I know you're losing it, but you know, I, like I would reflect, I, I know you want to get to the park right now, but feeding my deeper needs, knowing that I am ultimately taking care of them that's, that's where that all comes from. The people don't have the, there's a lot of people that don't have the privilege to carry. So I don't want to say that it was specifically about carrying my children, but it was just like when that desire to have a kid was sparked, I became mother and I Mm. started caring for everyone and everything in this much deeper and and Mm. more connected way. And yourself as well, because you, you were in you as well. Exactly. And we are yeah. all, right? We are all yeah. the, like the little kids inside of ourselves. That's Yeah. Yeah. Sarah, thank you for sharing yourself with us today and in your book and in all of your all of your your media and your blogs and you are so active out there putting yourself out there and um and just inspiring us all to be real, to be authentic, to care for ourselves, and to just keep moving through this messy journey of life and parenthood with compassion. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you for having me on here. I am very grateful to be officially connected now. And yeah, it's just, official. 
it's official. It's official. It's official. And, it, and it's hopeful. You know, the more that I talk to incredible people and the more resources that I hear out there and the more that I learn for myself, I'm like, oh, wait, I should have been listening to that years ago. Right. You know, but um, but I'm glad that I come to all of it when I do. And just thank you yeah. so much for all you're yeah. doing for our parents. Tell everyone uh, not only where to find your book, your blogs, your everything you're doing. I think the like the one-stop shop would probably just be my website, which is Sarah Ezrin Yoga. And I I tend to put up I because I write for a bunch of different outlets, so but I I put a lot of them up on there. And then I think I'm most active on Instagram, Sarah Ezrin Yoga as well. Um, but I am also on TikTok and I'm just really I'm, you know, uh, I'm everywhere, so you can find me anywhere. I'm about to go back on tour actually next week, which I was, oh, like, nice. I was, I was hesitating saying because I don't know, I assume this will air well past those dates, but, um, but yeah, we are going around and, and doing some tours in different yoga spaces and wellness spaces. So awesome for that. Awesome. And also, um, we didn't talk about, but everyone please check out your, you have a limited podcast series with amazing guests that, um, I did find on your website. So, um, that is another offering that we did not even refer to. Uh, so yeah, you guys go, there's so much there on Sarah's site and she's doing so much. And, um, as you can tell, she's very approachable and loves to connect. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You should be my PR person. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk after the show. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of our community. Thank you for your five-star reviews. Please share this episode with everyone that you think and know will benefit. You know what I'm going to ask you to do. Try to be that person you want your child to become and ask yourself the guiding question I ask myself each day. What footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.